you for this time that you've given us. You alone are holy. of our profession. Lord God, we thank you that you've already fought and won our battles. We thank you, Lord God, that you are the God who has already given us the victory. Lord, I thank you for your people. I thank you for each and every precious one. And we thank you for your comfort and your grace. We thank you, Lord God, for the strength that you have given us to be able to live for you in this day and age. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 Give the Lord a hand. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise God. For those who are recently uh, joining us, let me just make a quick announcement before we turn to 1 Samuel in chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, we are in transition with our AC unit. So please, uh, the old AC unit has been taken out this week, and the new one is in the process of being installed. Until then, we've got these rented, I don't know what you want to call them, uh, Star Trek-looking uh, generators out in the lobby and in the hallway. That helps, and so um, thank you for your understanding. Uh, that being said, it's good to have you all. Here on this Lord's Day, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to begin reading at verse 31. 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 31, and we'll read all the way to verse 40. 1 Samuel chapter 17, 31 through 40. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine, to fight with him. For you are but a youth. For you, pathway, are but youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. <laughs> but David said to Saul, you see, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. I'm not too sure if you're aware, but uh, when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, you want to know what I did? Verse 35, I went after him. Some of us are scared of dogs, <laughs> and here David is. I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, oh, oh. I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. David is a savage. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. 
for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with the coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I can't go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. I want to talk to us today about how to kill our giants. This uh, story reminds me of Numbers 13 and 14. If you were with us uh, last week, you'll You'll, you'll, rem- you'll recall what we had a chance to, to learn and see what God was teaching us in that particular account. Remember, it was after two years that the children of Israel, the men of Israel, the people of Israel were wandering in the desert before they approached the bank of the Jordan River. And it was at that point, upon approaching the bank of the river, that God told them, now go, cross this, these waters and enter into that land, and it's all yours. Everything that I had promised you is now yours. All you have to do is enter into this land, and it belongs to you. And so rather than just going into the land upon approaching the bank of the Jordan River, instead what they decided to do was send spies into the land. And you'll remember they sent how many spies? Twelve. They sent twelve spies. And those twelve spies had a chance to enter into the land on a, on a sort of a reconnaissance tour, scope it out and check out whether or not they thought it was worth it and what good was there. And they also had a chance to return and to come back with their report. And it's not so much that they came back with a report, it's that there was different reports that came back to the people. On the part of the 10 of the 12 that returned who gave their report, it was all bad. They said, we saw giants in there. We saw figures in there like we've never seen. We heard what God has said. We understand what God's promise is for us and for our life, but we also know what we saw. Isn't that kind of like how it is in our Christian life? It's like, I know what the Bible teaches. It's just I know what my week looks like and what I have to encounter on campus. I know when I got to go back to school 100 miles away, right, or 50 miles away, I know what I got to see day in and day out. Oh, I've, I've learned, right? It's just what I got to sit under during my lectures on a secular campus. Oh, I know what the Bible teaches on that. It's what my Monday looks like when I'm actually presented with it. That's where my challenge is. And so they came back with their majority report. But thankfully, it wasn't just their report that the people had to hear. They also got to listen to two other reports, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb came back with a report, and their report stood in contrast to this other report. And they said, yeah, 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 no, no. What they saw is right, but we can still take them. We still got it. 
It's still ours. And God said, as a result of the faithlessness of that generation that went off of the majority report, they were going to have to wander in the desert a whole nother 38 years in addition to the two years that they had already wandered in the wilderness as a result of their rebellion and their faithlessness. Until this generation dies out and another one comes up, a youth generation comes up, that's not going to be marked by the sort of faithlessness that marked the previous generation, I'm not going to move. That's what God promised. Those 38 years came and went. And now here we are, 40 years. Moses now in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, has his chance to remind the people of God's promise and to lead them to take the land all over again. And those same giants that were encountered on the first visit into the land after two years, they came to find out after 40 years, still are there and still exist. I want to talk to somebody here today who's facing some giants. I want to talk to somebody today who, who's heard the gospel, who knows something of Jesus, who hasn't a, had a problem at all making sense out of what the Bible teaches on this and that and the other. The only challenge is, what do you do with the giants that are still alive and well in your life? We may not have literal giants like the ones that they encountered in their day and age. David is faced with a giant in this particular passage. I've got giants. We all got giants of one sort or another. And David has his here in this particular passage. And what's interesting is, is like what we find in Numbers 13 and 14, we find here two reports. Isn't that interesting? What's God teaching us? Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you roll with. Be careful of whose report is actually shaping and influencing the trajectory of your life and your future and God's purpose and plan and calling on your life. It's amazing how somebody's report can impact and derail God's purpose and plan from coming to pass in our life. Had they gone with the majority report like they did, they didn't see God's plan from coming into fruition. Had this particular group gone off of the men of Israel's fear of Goliath and the fact in their eyes that there's no way we could take him, they would have never seen themselves having the victory. David is in this story to remind us that though your Goliaths still are alive and well, there's still hope for you. You see, some of our Goliaths could be different stages of our life. Maybe you got a background that's haunting you. Hmm? Maybe you got relationships where you were burned and so much of your present and what you fear is going to be your future life is going to be marked and shaped by your past. Some of you have fear of losses because there are losses that took place in your life. And so death has marked your life and your upbringing in many ways. And so the thought of death, the prospect of death, the thought of just how frail and fragile life is, and how all you can count on is what you have at the moment, but you're not sure of five minutes from now or tomorrow grips you. That's a giant. 
Some of us have a fear of stepping out into our professions and our calling in life because we've never seen success in our family pedigree. All we've seen is struggle and failure as far back as we can go. And the whole family and the whole ancestry is depending on me, on you, to make it, to be that prodigy, to be that child that's going to get us out of poverty, that's going to get us out of this part of town, that's going to get us out of being a family that's known for not going to college or not having an education or basically making barely ends meet. And it's all on you. And it's a giant because you don't like that pressure and that weight. Some of you, your giant is the fact that you haven't had a chance to live the kind of life that others have been able to live. How do I find my identity in this particular culture and society? For some of you, your giant is an identity crisis. And you're trying to find your place and figure yourself out. And it's weighing in on you. For others of you, it's peer pressure. You haven't been able to get away from the opinions and the thoughts and the suggestions of others and what they think your life should look like and they're overshadowing you. And it's a giant. No matter how much you go to Bible study, no matter how much you make it to life group and make it to service and get into your Bible, their opinion just seems to trump what the Bible has to say. It's like, how come my life can't be shaped around what the Bible says? Why is it that I care so much about what other people say? For others of you, you never thought figuring out what to do with your life was supposed to be this hard. You're like, this is a giant. I thought as soon as I got to this age, it's going to be between one or two or three choices, and I would know and it would make sense to me, pick this and just go with it. But you're realizing it's not as easy as I thought, and I'm afraid. I'm going to enter into my mid-20s, my late-20s, my late-30s, and still not know. And just that thought and going there is just crippling you. For some of you, you've been there. You thought you were going to be out of school after just four years and 22, 23 years old. You're going to be right there in your profession, and you're like in the wilderness. (laughs) What should have been Deuteronomy chapter 1, 11 days journey ended up being a 40-year journey. What should have been an 11 year, 11 week journey ended up being a 40 year, sorry, 11 day journey should have been a 40 year journey. It didn't have to take that long for the children of Israel, and yet it did. Why? Not because of what God wanted to do, but because of what report they chose to buy into. And David's story as he stands up against this Goliath and this giant of his day is a story that marks not only him and his relationship with God, but your relationship with God as well. And I want to show that together with you. But I want you to know, everybody has giants. There's no exceptions. Paul said there's no temptation taking you except what's common to man. No temptation taking you except what's common to man. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. You see, for some of us, we think, I'm the only one struggling with this temptation. It's like, no. Everybody is struggling in one way or another. I've met many people who thought, I thought when I gave my life to Jesus, this sin struggle was going to go away. I thought when I committed my life to Christ and raised my hand, I would never have to deal with this issue that I'm embarrassed about or ashamed of ever again. And yet it's still there, standing nine foot nine inches like Goliath. 
in my face, looming over me, causing me to doubt and to question all over again, am I the real deal? Am I a Christian? Is this true? Did he really promise me this? You see, that land that they were given in Numbers 13, Canaan, the promised land, milk and honey, is a picture biblically of Christ. It's a figurative picture from God given to us, the fulfillment of it in the New Testament, the land of Canaan. We're not looking for land. So what significance does that have for us? It's Jesus Christ. It's heaven ultimately. It's Jesus Christ. It's our relationship with him. The land of promise, in other words, what we're supposed to enter into is not a physical location. It's into a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. But notice, even though they entered into the land, they entered into a land with what? Giants. Even though you become a Christian, you enter into your relationship with Jesus still with giants. That's important because there's a lot of people who grow disillusioned and they get shocked and they get scared away from the church, scared away from Jesus, scared away from the faith because they thought once I enter into the land, there should be no giants. What's this? I see this tall figure and there's a bunch of them. (laughs) That's the Christian life. That even though you've entered into the land, entered into relationship with Jesus, you're still going to encounter giants of one sort or another. For some of us, a giant is, I'm never getting married. Marriage is, just the thought of marriage is like a giant. It's like, oh no. Maybe because of our history, all we've seen is divorce. All we've seen is relationships go south. All we've seen is just it go ugly and bad. And me, enter into that, to be added to that statistic, forget it. I'm afraid I don't have what it takes. And so it scares me. It's a giant. For, other, for others of us, it's like adulting. It's like just the thought of growing up and taking on and shouldering responsibility and being my own man and my own woman. And that whole process that that involves is a giant. I'd rather stay right where the, I am rather than enter into uncharted territory. It's a giant. It's a giant. And many people are gripped by it. It's a giant. And David says some things for us here that are important. Number one, if you're going to be able to overcome your giants, if you're going to slay, if you're going to kill your giants in your life, the first thing you've got to do is exhibit the right motives. Look with me here at this passage. In verses 12 and 13, David says something very, uh, it says something very interesting. It says, now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. Now skip down to verse 14. David was the youngest, though. The three eldest followed Saul. So at this point in the story, just a little backdrop, a little context before we get to what we all, uh, read in the beginning, David's brothers are at war on the front lines with Saul and the rest of the army. Where's David? David's with pops. David's tending to the sheep. David doesn't belong where the brothers are. The brothers don't even want David over there. It's only because of Jesse sending David for one particular assignment, and he's got to come right back, that David found out what's going on at all. And so here we go in this passage here. And so what we see here is verse 21. After David rose early in the morning, in verse 21, 
Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, the very things Jesse sent him for, and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. So here he finally shows up. He's like, what's going on here? What, what, what are you guys doing? Why is everybody gripped with fear? What's all the, what's all the talk about? Then he says in verse 23, as he talked with them, behold, the champion. So now he finds out what's really going on. Goliath, by the name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely. He has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Verse 26, last verse. And David said to the man who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him. In the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. You see, Israel was gripped with fear because all they saw was a Goliath. All they saw was this giant. David, on the other hand, operating from his identity in Christ, in God, David, on the other hand, coming from a perspective that they should have came from, is looking at the situation right, and he's interpreting it. And he's wondering, what's going on here? And they're like, look, look who we got. There's no way. These people are cowering in fear. Saul doesn't know who to have. Saul doesn't know who's going to be his point man. And David says, wait a second here. In David's mind, his motivation was this, the glory of God. And the fact he had a desire for the glory of God, and he had his desire that God's plan and God's purpose be fulfilled, even through this giant. And he says, look, God's name is at stake in this situation. What's the point here that David is trying to make? It's not enough to just want to destroy your Goliaths. It's not enough to want to fight your giants and see them slain. You've got to have the right motivation to want to destroy them. Why do you want to see that success? Why do you want to enter into that next season of your life? Why do you want to get married? Why do you want to have children? Why do you want to take on a a new responsibility at that career or that job? Why do you want more roles to play at church? Why do you want to be on worship team? Why do you want to be a pastor? Why do you want to minister? Why is it that you want to do anything that you feel is challenging your ability to get there? It's not enough to just want it. Even if it's a good thing in and of itself, you got to have the right motivations. There are many people who come to church just to be relieved of their issue. Maybe they're struggling and they're in turmoil. And if they can just experience some peace, that's fine. But it's done nothing for their relationship with God. They're using God for another end. There are other people where their marriage is on the way to the divorce courts and they're in church. And God's a little bit more in their life. Why? Because of the relationship on the rocks and they don't like how that feel. But they're not going to God for God. There are others who are looking at their teenagers and like, I can't take care of them. I can't straighten her out. I'm going to bring them to church. Why? God fix them. God says that's not a right enough reason. There are a lot of people 
who want to see their Goliaths or their giants or their struggles or their challenges settled. But God is saying, why? My David had a reason that I was pleased with. That's why God showed up when David stepped out on the limb because he saw David's heart. He was a man after whose heart? God's heart. He was a man who who said, it's not so much my name at stake. It's not my family's reputation at stake. It's my God's reputation at stake. And I'm noticing how this thing is playing out. God's not looking good. God's looking at our life and he's saying, look, I want to see you succeeding. He wants to see each and every one of us no matter what stage we may be in our life. He wants to see us flourishing. He wants to see his will coming to pass in each of our lives. But what's going to have to happen first? Our motivations. Our motives have got to be in check here. David says something very interesting here. He sees, of course, this champion, this Goliath. He was how tall? Nine feet, nine inches tall. He wore armor that you wouldn't believe how many pounds, if it all added up, it amounted to. He carried a spear that weighed over 32 pounds. The mon- this monster was covered in brass from head to toe. That was him. But David spoke of killing this gi- giant. His motives were, were, were not questioned. He knew exactly what he wanted to accomplish in his life. But not only was it the motives on David's part, it's also something else. We saw his glory there in verse 26. You could note that for yourself. You could also note the the following verses. We saw his desire to want to see God's plan and God's purpose fulfilled in his life, and God will use your giants to fulfill his purpose and his plan. God's not going to... God's not going to fulfill my purpose, his purpose for my life, despite my giants. God will use my struggles. God will use anything. Paul was somebody who thought God had to get it out of his life for God's purpose and plan to come to pass. He says, three times I prayed that the Lord would what? Take it away. But he answered me. And what did he say? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect where? Not through Saul's armor, through your weakness. My power is made perfect through your weakness. What did Paul learn? That when I am weak, then I'm what? I'm strong. When I'm weak, your giants are no obstacle in the eyes of God. God doesn't look at them and fear and cower and concern as to whether or not he's going to be able to bring his purpose and his plan to your life. It doesn't matter what you're facing right now. It doesn't matter what is standing over you right now. It's about to go down. In fact, the good news of the gospel is this. It's already gone down. Now look at what David does because he's met with cynicism. His brothers look at him like, are you just trying to... Are you just trying to get a little fame? What are you doing over here? Go back where you came from. You've got no business here. Sometimes that's what we hear. People want to see, people will see you stepping out on a limb, wanting to live for God. All of a sudden, you want to be brave in God, be bold in God. And they're saying, what are you doing? Why don't you just go back to how people have always known you? 
You got no business here. I know what you're up to. Why, why do you have that microphone in your hand? I see you singing. I know what you're really up to. Why are you trying to serve as an usher? Why are you trying to serve in ministry? I saw you teach in a class. What you up to? Go back to what you were doing before you ever joined the church. His brothers. Sometimes the closest people could say the most awful things that if you're, if you're not careful, could send you right back where God delivered you from. If David allowed the words of his brothers as soon as he encountered them on that battlefield to settle in any further, he would have been right back with his father never to see how God would use him that would change history. I wonder how many people right now have hung on longer than they should have to the words, I don't care if it was family, I don't care if it was your teacher, I don't care if it was a peer, a, a classmate, maybe somebody on the team, maybe it was somebody on social media, you didn't even know, they just trolled your feed and dropped a thought in there that just stuck to where you couldn't shake it. And now you're living much of your life, not so much based on the words that God has told you, but on the words that folk have told you. But notice David's response. David hears him. None of us, we can't stop what people say in our comment section unless we want to block them. <laughs> we can't stop what people say to us at school or at work or among our family. But what we can do is offer a response. What does David do? He says there in verse 34, David says, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. What's this Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine going to mean to me? What's David doing? David has history. David has collectibles, if you will. Some of us have got collectibles, right? And so even though we got them at one point in time, we kept them around. Why? Memories. As soon as I look at that, it reminds me of things. That's what you need. The reason why God has allowed you to go through some stuff in your previous days is so that you'll use it as ammunition today against what you're presently dealing. You see, your victory over past battles catches up with you for your victories against present battles. The way you counter and the way you stand up against the giants of today is what God did with you, with, uh, with your giants in your past. You see, every one of us has a story. Every one of us has a background as to what God did, who God has been, what God has been up to in his past. Don't forget that is what I'm trying to tell you. You don't want to forget that. What God did to you before and with you and through you before is what he wants to bring to your mind today so that you'll realize that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's faithful. See, God's, David is not just now beginning to hope that God is going to be who he said he's been in his word. He's like, no, 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 I got history with this God. I'm entering into this battle knowing who my God is. You see, Christians need to enter into their weeks knowing who their God is. When you start fighting your battle on Tuesday or on Wednesday, whether it's inside your head and it's just you and your thoughts, sometimes that's where our giants are. Other times, our giants come in the form of people 
at work, in break rooms, on projects, in departments, or on school, in study groups, or in classes, or on the team. They come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes and forms. That's not the time you need to start knowing who your God is. (laughs) You need to be using now because you want to bring knowledge of who your God is into these battles with giants. See, David isn't coming with a blank slate and just hoping that his God is going to come through for him. David is like, no, 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 I know who my God is. Let me just give you one example. And he starts going back to what God did in and through him with lions and with bears. And if that was the case, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? And Saul is listening to him and like, I love how this man talks. How come y'all ain't like that? He's like, I tried to discourage him. I told him, in fact, Saul even said, to David. What did Saul say? He says, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. <laughs> you want to get married? You can't handle marriage, honey. Oh, you want to move out of the house? And what are you going to do? You're going to fall apart. You're going to fail. You can't go to that school. Yes, it worked for him. It worked for them, but not for you. You want to enter into that program? <laughs> you're trying to go on? It's not going to happen. I know you. You applied for a job. What are you going to do with the job? You could barely do what I've asked you to do around the house. How many of us have heard things? What are you going to do with another man? What are you going to do with another woman? How do you know how to handle a relationship? A kid, you're going to bring a kid into the world? You're but a youth. Many people hear these sort of negativity again and again. I don't care if people mean well. It's what it's doing to you at the end of the day. That, that's what matters. And we don't know what Saul may have had in mind in saying what he said. That wasn't the point why God left it in the scriptures. It's what it could have done if David wasn't careful in David's head. And I'm thankful that David didn't allow Saul's words to be the end all of the story. David said, no, 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 no. See, if I didn't have any history with God, what you said about me <laughs> may have settled in. But I know my God. I know with man, all things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I know who I am in and of myself. I know that I'm nothing. I know that I'm not incapable of much. I know if you look at my background without Jesus in it, it doesn't speak of much. It doesn't speak well. But I'm actually daring enough to believe that if I could just put my life in God's hands, I imagine what he can do with it. And so David steps out on this limb. He steps out on the limb. And he goes forward. And Saul says, all right, I tried my best to stop this man. I tried to stop him getting married. I tried to stop him to have that. I tried to stop him to go out and start a church. I started to stop him to not join the church, not take God seriously. At least have this armor. At least have my armor. If you're not going to listen to what I said here, at least take my armor. And David tried out of respect. And he's like, you know what? <laughs> this ain't working. <laughs> this armor, this ain't, this not how I roll. What's the armor? It's, it's people who are, okay, if I can't get God out of you, at least be this kind of a Christian. 
okay, if you're going to take Jesus that seriously, at least still do this and this for me with your life. And there's some people who just won't let go. It's like, all right, have Jesus, but I want you to have these three degrees. I want to be the one who picks your major. I want to be the one who, who controls where you live. I want to be the one who picks the person you're going to marry, how many kids you're going to... And it's like, look, look, look. I don't think you got me. Now that I belong to Jesus, right? He's the one who's going to determine what armor, what equipment I need to be able to fulfill his purpose and his plan for my life. You see, for some people, it's Saul's armor to get married right now. Even though there may be people who are pressuring you. Why aren't you married yet? How come you don't have someone? Who are you dating? How come you don't have a kid for us yet? How come you haven't finished school? How come you haven't picked a major yet? And it's like, look, look at so-and-so. Antena, antena, antena. Look at them. We're going to the graduation. You see this party? We could have been throwing this for you. I brought you into this world so that you could, it's like clock is ticking. I'm not going to be around always. Where's, you see? And it's like, you can get pressured. Why don't you have a job like this? Why don't you live on this part of town? Why didn't you do what they did? And it's like, look, that's Saul's armor. I got my own life. I want to figure things out in relationship with my God. I'm on his timetable. I'm not on anybody's timetable. They lost Jesus. And they're like, you had us scared. Where were you? Don't you know that I must be about my father's, help me, business? It's like, where are you at with your life? Where are you at with your choice? You should be at this point at this stage of your life. This and this and this should have been accomplished. Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? You see, I want you to be free to be in relationship with your God. If, if your giants are going to go down, it's not going to be by living upon the dictates and the opinions of people. And it's not going to be by just any kind of a motivation. Your motivation has got to be the glory of God and a desire to want to see his purpose and his plan brought to pass through your life, even if it means using those giants in your life. In closing, David took a stone one stone, even though he had five, and dropped him. But it wasn't in verse 46 or 51 that, that Goliath died. It was in verse 26. You see, Goliath died before he died. All we see in the next following chapters is the declaration and the actuality of his death, the eulogy, the, the message that was given, the rites and the burial and the dirt poured over and the flower put on top. But David already knew he was gone when he showed up at the camp and saw what's going on here. Who is this that defies the armies of the li living God? In other words, for David, his giant was good as dead even before he physically fell. What am I saying right now? That's faith. Right now, I want us believing. Whatever your giant is right now, it's dead. It's not standing 10 feet above you. It's standing 10 feet long on the ground. You're over it. It's not over you. Jesus is our greater David. 
You see, Jesus came eventually, entering into human history, born of a virgin, lived a perfect and a sinless life, suffered, ultimately found himself on a cross to face the Goliath of sin, Satan, and death. Your giant is ultimately sin, Satan, and death. And Jesus came as our greater David to destroy and defeat and to bring down our Goliath. If you've trusted in Christ today, I want you to know you're not living for victory. You're living from victory. Yours is the victory, but you've got to believe right now that it belongs to you. You've got to be willing to trust and know that God is on your side. The same way that David didn't need to wait for the Goliath to actually fall, to know that that victory was already his, you don't need to wait to actually see what you think you need to see to know that the victory is yours. It's faith. Faith in God's promises. Faith in God's ability to overcome whatever he's going to have to overcome. What's your giant? Where's that battle raging the most? I want to challenge us all, including myself, to use this opportunity and this time, if you haven't already, to declare to yourself all over again that there is no way in the world that this is going to define you at all. I don't care who he is. I don't care who she is. I don't care what it is. It doesn't stand a chance against God and his purpose and his plan from coming to pass in your life. Amen? Let's stand together if we can. Yeah. Father, we thank you for this victory. God, we celebrate your work, your finished work on the cross. Jesus, we thank you that you're no longer suffering and dead. You're alive and well. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that our giants no longer have us. We have them. Hallelujah. God, we give you all the glory. And we pray now, Lord God, as we begin to move out and go after the different areas of our life, help us to go forward from this place of victory. May our giants no longer tower over us. May they no longer have our ear. May you, I pray. Be with your people, God. Strengthen your people. I pray that you put a confidence and a fearlessness like we see in David inside the heart of each and every person here. Do this, we ask, in Jesus' name. And everybody shout it. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Hey, if you want prayer, if you just want somebody to come alongside you and just declare some of God's promises, concerning specific areas of your life, we're here. We're here. I want you to know that. Outside of that, I would love for you guys to meet and greet, and I want to thank you for bearing with the heat and the fact that we're still working on the AC. I really appreciate that. God bless you. Don't forget our conference next Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Be in prayer for it. God bless.